Welcome to the Music Book Club, brought to you by Automatic Panic. In each episode, we choose an album, listen to it, and talk about it. I'm Andy Payne, with me is Azan Khan. Hello. And our guests today are the exemplary Meredith Dixon and the great Steve Good. Nice. Thank hey. You. How are you guys? <laughs> We're good, thanks. I'm shocked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You've been upgraded. You can uh, start using that on your business cards now. Done. <laughs> I've been meaning um, to sort my website out. <laughs> uh, so today we are discussing Morphine's Cure for Pain, released in 1993. If you haven't listened to it yet, press pause now and go do it. Okay, I think we can assume everyone's uh, up to speed. Uh, how did you guys find it? I mean, for me, I've, I've been listening to this album for years and years and years. I absolutely adore it. Um, it's actually one of the reasons why we, when we met, I think I said to Meredith, you need to check out this band. Um, yeah, it was when you still had your recording. See, I, I, I had that moment too, but it was with Andy. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually, do you know what? That's really funny because, um, yeah, so when, near the beginning when we met, it was with Billy, wasn't it, your mate? And you were like, have you heard this album? And I was like, oh, I don't know. And then suddenly I was like, oh my God, this needs to be in my life. Um, no. But then I, I also remember... I think I assumed it was the other way around. For no. Mm. Controversially. Yeah. Well, I think I was, growing up, I was quite into the Pixies and all that kind of bands as well. So I think being a Boston band, they're quite similar. Yeah. Um, mm. Um, I also remember them being on Sopranos. I was a massive fan of Sopranos. They were on Sopranos? So the first, not them personally, but... Um, no, no, no. I think it was Buena. I think Buena was on the uh, first season of Sopranos. Oh, cool. Ah. I, um, so my uh, fiancé is Bulgarian, and she actually introduced me uh, to them. And she, so she, but she's known about them for, I don't know, 13, 14 years, found out about them uh, in school from a friend. Uh, who is into you know all of the uh, this kind of uh, U.S. Northeast scene, I think, and then uh, the, and also the Doors. Um, so it's it's interesting because that was you know not particularly long after, uh, only ten years after um, communism came to an end, also in uh, uh, Bulgaria, you know, not particularly long in the grand scheme of things, and so. Uh, the fact that these like individual bands like filter in and then the webs of uh, how people actually find out about music is quite interesting. Um, it's interesting as well because both bands, if you're talking about The Doors and Morphine, they should we say they have unusual arrangements, both of them, right? Like one of them doesn't have a bassist and it's just guitar, drums and um, organ. And then you have Morphine who's bass, but a weird bass at that as well because he plays slide with it. <laughs> And I think there's only two strings. Two strings, slide bass. Yeah, yeah. And um, <laughs> drums and sax of all instruments. You know, it's, it's an amazing sound, I have to say. Also, it's such a big sound as well. I mean, mm. that's what I love. It's got that real dark... Yeah, it's quite heavy. It, it's so... Um, it, it, the actual, like... Um, uh, it's so much low-frequency heavy that I think you lose a huge portion of this listening to it on your phone or on even like small uh, earphones. Yeah, that's um, not what it's you, for. You need, no, no. You, you, you need a full range system. It's back in the days when they used to make music for people with hi-fis rather yeah. than... Yeah. Again, <laughs> to actually listen phones. to properly, not on the little phone speaker. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and it really is, it's like, I've, I've never, I don't think I've come across a band that like 
so perfectly embodies what they're about. Like the the name is morphine. The music has a like you're just saying it's heavy and it's kind of it's sludgy and lethargic in in not a bad way. I just mean like it just it like I've never I've never had more taken morphine, but I imagine this is what it's like. <laughs> like I imagine listening to like really fast heavy songs is probably like morphine when you're on morphine. <laughs> <laughs> no, then, I love you that. Know, it just puts it in your head and you go, ah, okay. They just sort of embody the whole thing, and I think that's brilliant. Um, and I think that's what being a band is all about. Yeah, I think I love just that. the way the um, slide bass kind of accentuates and plays off the sax lines is just mm. so good on this record. Mm. Mm. It, it, like in uh, sort of specifically in uh, Buena, um, the sax doesn't come in for over a minute in a three-minute song, and yet when it does, it's it's so powerful it's one of those ways that somehow they've managed to get in a three-piece with an unusual instrumental setup a real progression in the music over a just a three-minute song it's incredible i think that's one of the things isn't it because there's so much space in the music even though it's a three-piece like for example obviously saxophone saxophonist yeah. bias um but <laughs> we, it, he doesn't have to play all the time but then as well he's not just a solo instrument and again it's hearing the baritone not just on the bass line you know, it really steps in with the odd lead part or it plays a riff or even just in the background and you've got some harmonies there. It's just, yeah. Like you say, there's so much progression and it's used in so many ways. Yeah. Mm. And, and because, and I've said this before in one of our other um, podcasts, is that when there are fewer elements in, in your mix, if you like, you can make each one of them bigger. And that's why, you know, there's... The sax sounds huge because there's really nothing else there. <laughs> I mean, what what else would you put there? There's nothing there except the brace, bass, which sort of sits under it, if you like, and the vocal itself. So there's the the thing that would be a guitar in other bands is the sax, and it's amazing how big that sound is when he's you know it's a saxophone he plays single notes, and yeah they're double tracked, but I don't think he, typically they're not harmonized. It's just sort of straight double tracks well, I think the yeah. choice of the baritone sax as well really helps that yeah. just it kind of fattens it out I think if it was a tenor yeah. it just wouldn't work it wouldn't work no mm. yeah you're totally right yeah. there is some tenor sax on the album uh, I, I don't know enough actually like to know where it is I was just reading the uh, reading the sleeve notes earlier um, it's uh, one of my prides and, prides and joys of my uh, fledging uh Vinyl collection. Should we go and get ours? So we got the game. So we can go like there it is. Oh, you've got it as well. Oh, of awesome. course. <laughs> we, we've got it on like limited edition clear blue vinyl as well. Nice. Ooh, it's very oh, fancy. Cool. <laughs> yeah. What a wanker. Yeah, a little bit. I, I can't remember which song it is, but there's um, a solo part where um, there's one of one sax is leading, but then he's put another layer underneath, and then they occasionally come in on unison or a harmony uh, note. Um, it's, I think it's tenor over Barry, but it could be two Barrys and he's just doing different lines on it. If you've seen Dana Colley play live, he plays both saxes at once. Oh, does he? Really? He harmonises them all at once. Yeah. Oh. I mean, also, fair play with baritone yeah. and tenor. Like... <laughs> that's, that's just showing off. No? Yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> so he does it quite a lot in Vapors of Morphine, which is the band, so after the singer died, they got yeah. together with Vapors of Morphine, so he did that. Which is something we're talking about, because... Um... His name was Mark Sandman, I think. Yeah. And um, he died on stage. Yeah. I remember reading this. He just died in the mm. middle of a concert. Yeah. Um, can you like? Can you imagine just being there and and, uh, and I mean I know it's morphine and I'm dressed all in black and stuff and I don't want to bring the tone down, but but 
still, I mean, that's, I, I don't know. I, they say it's good to die do, doing what you love. I, I mean, yes, you can't, exactly, you can't hold it against them, right? Being purely jealous, you kind of like, you wish there were another five albums that they could have, like, you feel like that's a huge loss to music yeah. uh, and, and art in general. So we, uh, the first episode we recorded of this uh, was about uh, Songs for the Deaf, uh, Queens of the Stone Age. Um, and I was just reading Mark Sandman's Wikipedia page today, and it turns out that uh, Queens of the Stone Age were playing the same venue in Italy that he died the next day. Yeah, so there was this interview with uh, Josh Homme, um uh, talking about how they found out, and uh, I think they were, something about they were doing lift sharing or something was was crossing over, and then the other guys in the band told him, and so he's now got this deep connection whenever he's in Boston and uh, that sort of region. Um, but it's uh, as well as um, just that link to uh, Queens of the Stone Age is more in um, for me. Obviously, I didn't know that until today that there was this link uh, between them, but. There's a there's a similarity in the uniqueness of uh, the sound. Yeah, um, and so from what I know from Josh Homme is he was a big fan of Mark Salmon anyway before they um, sort of on the circuit together. And mm. even in Caius, so I think a lot of his playing is influenced, like his guitar playing was influenced by the sounds that he was making on the bass. Mm. Mm. It is it is the most unique bass sound that I know. Uh, two, yeah. two strings in a slide, like you can't really yeah, get more unique than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's so so much so that nobody that I know of has even tried to do the like you know said I'm going to take a two two string bass and try and carry that on. That just it stopped. Actually, everyone's got to know. Do you know what? I'm going to add strings. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the only other person is C6D, but that's slightly different, isn't it? Really? <laughs> yeah, he, he he works in a slightly different way. Um, mm. But it, the sort of um, the fluidity of his playing is really nice. And like you said, it's because it's a bass, it just adds that extra kind of. It, <sighs> it's got a real vocal quality to it as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It really, it complements his vocal style. Well, it's kind of almost a bit how Hendrix used to play as well, where he would mimic melody on his, mm. on his vocal mm. guitar. You kind of mm. get that with the bass. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it just seems to me that the three um, sort of harmonic instruments, if you like, the bass the sax and the vocals they really kind of have it's a kind of ensemble thing isn't it and that's what i thought probably explains why they they sound so big is because each thing has its fits in the right place and they they have um the melody gets passed around it's the same thing about space again isn't it no one's stepping on each other's toes it's not or it doesn't seem to be like an ego trip it's kind of yeah like you say very much an ensemble and it's shared around it's a difficult balancing act that they because because uh, it's all you know uh, low mid to low register. There there's there's an inevitable sense of kind of crossover in the the frequencies they're making. Yet they've managed to make it so that you can follow each individual line as well. Um, whereas you know of the, in a lot of other bands you'd be tempted to have stuff an octave higher so that it's very easily distinguishable. Um, and it's uh, he said that that was why it's called, he called what did he call it low rock, yes. um, and that and it wasn't it wasn't to do with like low fi it was specifically because everything is low pitched. Low. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it the tones they complement each other because the fundamentals there they might be close to each other perhaps, um, or but 
you know, the bass has a certain growl somewhere in the mid-range and the the baris, baritone sax will have a little bit more cut somewhere higher up. So they they really do fit nicely. Yeah, I think that's what I love about it as well, is the barry sound, because it's got that real throaty, fat mm. barry sound at the top. But like you say, it still cuts through. And then mm. the same with the low stuff. It's mm. Yes, it's still got that cut, but it's just this real fat barry sound, which is just amazing. <laughs> It never feels overblown, though, at the same time. No. Um, no. Where, which... Te- yeah, technique and stuff is just so good. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, the sound, yeah. I'm a fan. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> that was like the defining point. Because we're, we're in a band together as well. The defining point for us was when Dana Collie started following us on Instagram. Oh. And we were like, yeah. That's, uh, <laughs> that's a good one for the egos. That really was. <laughs> <laughs> Very cool. I um I was having a listen with Mir Marta. Yes. Isn't it? Yeah, I was I was having a listen earlier, some really nice uh uh like I was specifically listening for the sax because I knew we'd be talking a lot about it uh tonight. And uh there's some lovely little bits in there that kind of um uh the songs where morphine move away from their like really growly uh but um not aggressive rock sound. Um mm there's this really spacey atmospheric uh stuff and um uh mark uh, i've been listening a bit to mark sandman's uh essential like a collection of stuff that he recorded outside of uh morphine and there's loads of this atmospheric kind of trippy stuff going on and i particularly noticed that in uh, a few of your your songs um thanks in there yeah morphine's been a little uh, bit of an influence here and there hasn't it uh, well one of the songs is called poppy seed which is kind of uh, uh, yeah there we go and there's uh, a weirdly, which has a morphine riff at the end so. a very similar barry <laughs> influence yeah oh, very nice i uh, i actually saw that he said it um i don't know if this was him just making stuff up in an interview to be uh, controversial but he said um, that it was actually the name was derived not from morphine the drug but from morpheus it was about this like dreamlike uh, state, which was probably why morphine is called morphine. Like the actual drug is called it because of the the feeling it induces. But That's what I'm saying it's all just it all just fits. It's 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 really well put together. <laughs> At no point do they ever like. I guess the modern way of putting it is that they their brand and their brand management is just spot on. <laughs> but it never feels forced. You know, they 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 just embody what they're about rather than telling us none of it sounds contrived in any way like it's just yeah, mm. yeah really natural and, oh. yeah they they show don't tell I, i'm surprised actually that there aren't more bands that i can directly link to being morphine inspired in the modern age because they seem to be very well regarded and but when i when i listen to it you know i've listened to a lot of stuff in uh rock obviously but I'd never heard anything that I, or very, very few things that I immediately engaged with as well in terms of this is incredible. I've never heard the use of uh, this kind of style uh, before. And I, I, I actually thought it was like, you know, it had been released in 2015 um, because the production is so good. Yeah, it's super modern, isn't it? I, yeah, again, I was mm. doing a bit of reading up on it before this because I was like, I should probably learn some stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like that exact thing. It doesn't sound... 90s you wouldn't listen to it and go no. oh yeah 90s yeah i was going to say that normally in, in in these discussions that we have we usually pull in a lot of other things and sort of talk about them as a group but in morphine it's really hard <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's nothing like they're just so um singular in a way you know it's just 
them and then everybody else over here. They're a producer's dream in the fact that uh, they kind of produce themselves. They make space for themselves in the way they write the melodies. So mm-hmm. you don't really need to produce too hard. Uh, so I think it was more the producer took an engineer kind of role recording it. And it's just like, we'll do overdubs, but that's kind of all they... You listen to it, it's quite raw. Yeah. Mm. I was going to uh, bring up the uh, the drum parts on here. So it's two drummers, but um, the majority of the parts are Jerome Dupre, um, who... Uh, is uh, from what I understand a very he, his background was jazz and so it was all uh, you can you can hear it in in the performances he's so self-regulatory in his use of dynamics and uh, busyness as well because because he's applied it to this 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 rock feel um, the the way I described it was uh, his parts are perfectly busy um, in the you can hear all these little ghost notes and shuffles and uh, extra notes that you would not expect to hear on an equivalent um, rock sound, um, which uh, you do actually get to hear what that is like with a different drummer doing an interpretation uh, on... Um, so it was a Billy Conway, I think, the drummer who replaced him uh, during these album sessions or f- near the end. So he, he actually play uh, So Billy plays on the title track and... Um, let's take a trip together. And uh, those two have a very different feel uh, from a, a percussive um, uh, side of things, whereas um, uh, all of or of Jerome stuff is very kind of uh, shifty and uh, like um, like stuff is as if you're like you're on the ground, but then it's kind of moving you along underneath, like uh, yeah. uh, it never it never um, yeah. unduly draws attention to itself. It, Exactly. It's so that that's the and that and that's purely because of his um, self-regulation and control. While he's um, in the notes that he's playing, there's no enormous backbeats and then huge symbol uh, accents. But when they're there, it's so tastefully done. Like he's got really aggressive China. That it's kind of you only hear that stuff in like like massive slam sections <laughs> of uh, extreme metal, yeah. and then this. Beautiful, like the combination of like unusual, and again, that's 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 the jazz background. Like the use of the china comes from obviously where they were importing it, and the the early um, parts of where they were using it on the drum set, and so they knew how to use it properly to to accent yeah. parts of the yeah. music. And and also similar to jazz drummers as well, he doesn't have to hit them so hard because he doesn't have to cut through the texture as much. Because I mean, there's nothing there, as we yeah, exactly. <laughs> said. Mm. Well, the, the, drum, the drums fill that high element in the mix, don't they? You've got the nice tasteful cymbals because they've got space to be heard. Yeah, exactly. Even then, they're not high-pitched. I've been in my dark past. I've produced a lot of metal bands. And it is, it is an issue always with mixing metal bands. Is you, the drummers always want to hear their cymbals, but then they're fighting with the fizzle of the electric guitars. You don't, you don't have to push the cymbals too high, so you can be nice and tasteful. So it's really, yeah. like, produce, as I said, producers dream. I would love to produce this band. <laughs> you just sort of push the faders up. Oh, yeah, done. Really. There we are. <laughs> <laughs> what a work of art. <laughs> yeah, because like the aggressive stuff is always, I mean, you know, our stuff is like that. And it can be challenging to mix sometimes, even if you've recorded it well. Um, and just because things conflict with each other, as you said. There's always a trade-off, and there isn't really a trade-off with this. So. Yeah, everything just sounds massive. Um and that there's something that other bands can learn from, I think. it's. So I think, comparatively, I would compare it more to like the earlier stuff like Cream, because Cream mm. always had that space. You had really musical drum- drumming from Ginger, and like 
Jack Bruce's jazz influence on the bass is very similar, very musical, which gave space for Clapton, just like you give space here for Colin on sax. And I think, I guess, because in in that time as well, the late sixties, the all the like rock and like aggressive rock hadn't been quite invented the same. A lot of those drummers from those classic bands were jazz drummers. So there's Ginger Baker and Mitch Mitchell and Jimi Hendrix experience. They bring that feel to it. That that, for example, when I hear people do the Hendrix style cover of uh, his cover of All, All Along the Watchtower. It never quite works because it it often gets played by the drummer with like a just a simple like you know backbeat downbeat kind of you know pattern. It's not the same. Um, just it just sounds so sluggish, and it really needs the feel that Mitch Mitchell brought to it with the four on the four on the snare as well. It goes ta ta ta, and this that kind of just those ideas get lost. I think sometimes with rock in in rock music. Well, it's, it's, I think that's it, isn't it? Because you've got this real amalgamation of genres and with the jazz and blues background, it really comes through like in his bass playing and obviously the sax part, but like say with the drum, and it just gives it that little extra shimmer and I guess the energy, it's got those other layers, hasn't it? Just- you, can, you can totally imagine uh, this whole album just being a live set in a nice smoky club where you're like sitting a couple of meters away from the drummer and the and then uh the bass is on the other side of the stage but you can still hear everything because they know how to play for the room yeah and it just feels like they they recorded that perfectly it's a very intimate sound morphine are definitely that kind of band that you could easily record with that kind of bluegrass one mic setup in a single room and um you know just make sure they stand the right distance away from the mics so that it all makes sense and that they'll just mix themselves. Um, that's the key about the live bands. I don't. I imagine that. Um, I don't know this for a fact, but I imagine that the, a lot of this, the stuff on on the album, was recorded live. I mean, I know the generally the the sax gets double tracked because so it's, it's panned left and right. But I would be surprised if they didn't at least track it live. I can imagine that you might want to go in and patch stuff. You know, if there's a bum note or something was, yeah. but it all sounds very live, doesn't it? And yeah, it just feel it. It has a feel, and you and you get that from live. That's why I get the impression without having to without looking it up. I'm just guessing. Or it sounds <laughs> live to me, um, and you can almost always tell. Um, you get there's a kind of clinic, clinical aspect you get when you overdub stuff um, one by one, and. That I, for me personally, just kind of detracts a little bit from the music. I know some people really go for that, and there's some genres where that's extremely important. Um, but for me, I want to hear the band play. Part of it's hearing that it's it, it's that it's got that human element, hasn't it? You're actually hearing mm. people play rather than something that's all been aligned and perfected within an inch of its life. Just oh, I mean, I, was not, I wasn't even talking about that, but yeah, definitely. If you're like gonna, <laughs> if you're gonna edit it and tune it and stuff, then yeah. It goes yeah, away. but I mean that's taking it to the extreme. What you're saying, but yeah, exactly. You've just got that live live feel to it, which is really cool. I was going to ask. Um, I don't know any saxophonists apart from uh, Dana uh, in terms of like you know, records that I own. Um, did he put you in mind of anyone that you knew uh, already, Meredith? Uh, as obviously the person who will know. 
So I don't know his name, but his playing reminds me a lot of Polar Bear. Oh, mm. yeah. Um, I don't, don't know Polar Bear. Oh, they're awesome. Oh, they're very cool. Um, so I'm just I'm being a cheat and I'm looking up his name. <laughs> oh, um, Mark Lockhart. Yeah, so Mark Lockhart and Pete Wareham. So they're tenor sax players, but again, it, um, it's sax played in a way that you don't really expect. Because Polar Bear mm-hmm. are quite, they're quite trippy, atmospheric. Mm. A lot of electronics as well. For, for me, I always, I always think of because um, it's a very rich tone, and I'm a big Bruce Springsteen fan as well. And he's yes. obviously got Clarence Clemens in his in his band, and we have, we have Darkness on the Edge of Town in in, in this series. So I'm not going to get get into it too much, but Clarence Clemens's tone is also similarly just so big and throaty that I've, I've heard very few other saxophonists. I'm just trying to think. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because it's got that darkness to it. So, like, you think a lot of, like, the 80s kind of stuff. It's crisp and higher and hmm. it's a thinner sound. Um, whereas, yeah, Dana's sound, like you say, is a lot more throaty. There's the richer harmonics in it. Um, hmm. It's a lot darker. And I think a lot of that is the jazz influence. And, again, yeah. with the Barry and... But it's also not too soft and, you know, sometimes if you look at the older big band stuff, often the Barry's a lot, uh, I want to yeah, smoother. Um, right. But it's, he's kind of taken, like you said, you've got that edgier sound to it, which is what I really love. I love that edgy but dark sound because mm-hmm. often you get, I don't know, it's all, it's all personal, that's the thing, isn't it? So you get an edgier, much... Um, more focused sound, I guess. Yeah, thinner. Again, it's the harmonics kind of sound higher, and his mm. is just a lot. Again, fatter. <laughs> he's just got that mm. massive sound, and it's powerful. I think that's it. Yeah, because it's not overblown. He's not. It, it doesn't sound like he's trying too hard. Obviously, he'll be working hard when he plays, but mm. it doesn't feel forced in any way. Mm. Um, mm. And then you get the low yeah. notes, and they just speak. Mm. He also does um, harmonics and you get like the squeaks which um you know you hear a lot of leo p does in too many zoos and all that kind of thing uh oh yeah 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 mm. i think it's a head with wings he does it in i can't remember but you get a really sort of staccato yeah like the lower honks and then yeah yeah it's like a little middle bit in it technical terms music speak there doing well middle bit you know, little interjection, something something different. <laughs> um, on on interjections, I was going to bring up the song uh, Thursday, um, which is probably my is one of my three favourite on the album, um, where uh, the interplay between the vocal and the sax is absolute genius. There's that like uh, the one that always stands out in my mind is like uh, I, I wrote it down, so I'll get it right. Uh, um, she said, "Why don't you come back to my house?" Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> like, it's just it's so cheeky. Like uh, he's, he's he's doing the narration of the story on the saxophone, and so you're feeling that that kind of like whoa, cheeky kind of uh, lyrical aspect to it. While actually, when you think of the subject matter, it's um, again it, there's the darkness to it. Um, which really ties in perfectly with the the band sound. Mm. In there's that 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 uh, always tongue in cheek, no matter how dark the uh, the content is. Yeah, there's um, still a lightness there, isn't there? 
Mm. And the best sort of stuff does that when it's, you know, we, we did Hosier the other week. And it's a similar thing that in his case, it's not, it's more tenderness that we went into. But in Morphine's case, it's, it's, there's a levity to the lyrics. It's all very heavy and it's dark and it's about dark themes. But like Andy was saying, there's a tongue in cheek. There's a, there's a humor in there that keeps you moving along and doesn't make you feel too depressed because, you know, um, it could be morbid, but it's not. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like you say, the, the sax and the interplay between the vocals and the sax really play on that humor, don't they? Exactly the line that you talked about, Andy. It's, mm. Yeah. There's, Just works. There's a, yeah. I, I, the, and the way the line changes with the different uh, lyrics as well seems to reflect that kind of up and downs and twists in the story. It's, yeah, uh, you've kind of got that whole question and answer feel, but not too obvious. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Utilising the, the, the limited uh, instrumentation they have to play with in such a, a way that you'd, not, you'd almost expect that to be the other way around yeah. in, in, in a uh, kind of call and answer. Um, in my in my mind, I do anyway, which is why when the sax comes in, it's such as a uh, like a. It, it, it's still just today. I've listened, you know, I've listened to this fifty, a hundred times, whatever it is, in the last few years, and yet it still gets me every time as an interesting uh, conversation to listen to. Yeah. So uh, and, and and that all uh, there, there's that um, again. It ties back into that live feel of they are listening to each other, they are working with each other. It's not just a part on top of another part. It's actually all the parts work with each other. There's this um, space in the frequencies, but there's also the space in the um, when each part is prominent. Sometimes the bass is playing a huge role and sometimes the drums are doing a little standout fill. And then in other times, it's everything just pulls back so that the sax can have its moment and uh, and the lyrics as well. Um uh, having uh, emphasizing the right point, it's uh, it's a, a real art that they only get through that um, uh, practice of, of playing together and playing with other musicians and learning where the feel is. Um, we having this uh, little conversation before you guys joined, which was uh, the col- uh, quality versus quantity. Um, and actually, if you go for quantity um, over a long enough period of time, you get so good at it that the quality is probably going to be better than if you just focused on the quality in the first place. Um, and so the and I, it feels uh, from what I've heard of kind of uh, how prolific uh, Mark Sandman was in the the local uh, scene in Boston throughout the eighties and nineties that this is very much a case of you know really great musicians coming together having uh, cut their teeth playing with other musicians and then uh, coalescing in a fantastic way um, for this and then the next album as well is uh, uh, really good in a, in a very similar vein um, yes uh, I think it's called. Um, yeah, because their first which, album uh, was called Good, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. A lot of the bands of that era were doing exactly that. Um, mm. So even Nirvana, like, they got so good doing, doing the circuit. Um, well, that, that was, uh, and then the interplay with all the other um, uh, grunge bands in the, in the same scene, wasn't it? it, it classic case of like uh, a really good scene can lead to quite a lot of big breakout bands in the same way because they're all feeding off each other and playing with each other and well it's you get the inspiration don't you and then you get the inspiration did i Mm. say that twice experience that's what i meant (laughs) you get the inspiration (laughs) and the experience of doing Uh, it (laughs) and also just that the you know live is is unforgiving 
yeah. you can't you can't go and do it again like you're not gonna if you fuck it up halfway through the, sh- the song you can't just stop and go well do yeah, it again. sorry guys i'm a- <laughs> <laughs> uh, i mean so as andy was saying just the sheer repetition of it forces you to be good otherwise you're gonna especially in a good scene you're not gonna be asked back well, that's it. The pressure's on, isn't it? So you've actually yeah. got to. If the audience aren't happy, they're not going to come come back. And it's and like Andy was saying, a lot of it comes down to musicianship. I think um, it's too easy when we have when we're miking everything up and there's a mixer and a, everything like this. It's too easy to think that to put all the responsibility on the sound man or woman for that matter um, because they have control over stuff. It makes everybody's life much simpler if you as a band can respond to each other and listen to what each other are doing to let, you know, something come and go. You can't just play your part in isolation. Um, it brings There's a classic one of the, the lead guitarist and the bassist both wanting to hear themselves better on stage and turning up, and so then all you get is just this mush. I did that when, I, when I first like- did like, a gig when I was a teenager, like a big gig. All I did was turn my amp up loads, and this, none of the sound people told me to... To turn it down and somebody took a, a video from the front and all you can hear is the guitar <laughs> like, i used to have an eq pedal a graphic eq pedal with everything pushed all the way down and i'd turn it on to sound check and then turn it off to play but yeah no I, i've learned now and um so yeah now i'm happy to set it to whatever is whatever is a uh, good level that's the thing as a sax player you just don't have that control yeah, it's true. Guitar amps, you can just turn them up to whatever you want. I'm often said so they go, well, this is all I've got. So <laughs> I would um, like to be able to hear myself, but sometimes that's a little bit of a but, pipe dream. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I was going to say about um, song names as well. Pretty much all of the albums that we're doing in this series, I listen to the album. I just put it on and I listen to the whole thing. So I get really stuck with the song names because I just don't like go, I want to listen to this song. I just play, play the album. And then somebody goes, oh, it's this song. And I go, uh, yeah, okay. Sure, sure. That's, yeah. <laughs> I'm always quite guilty of that. Um, do, you have a, do you have a favorite song that you could uh, hone in on? I quite like Head With Wings. I think it's one of my favorite. I love the group. Yeah, on that was the one that was in. Um, there was a, mo- a semi-successful movie in the US that had it that gave them like a little boost in the nineties. I can't remember which one. It was like a teen uh, rom-com or something. Um, yeah, Hedwig Wings. Uh, like you said, Thursday earlier. That's one of my favourites as well. And mm. also Buena. Oh yeah. To be honest, I mean, there's not a song on the album that you kind of yeah, go, "Oh, do you know what? I quite like to skip this one." I- I'm just looking yeah. at the track listing, and you're asking about the favourite songs, and I'm just like. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, they're all so good. Uh, for me, I think it might be Cure for Pain, the, the title track itself. Yeah. Um, mm. For me, it's that killer moment where the sax solo comes in after, I think, the last chorus. Yes. And it comes in the... And it just it gets me every time. Well, it's quite um, cool, isn't it? Because that's a slight... Yeah, there's a slightly more poppy... I mean, it's not pop, yeah. obviously, but it's got that more kind of... Yeah, poppy feel to it rather than a jazz solo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's kind of Clarence Clemency, and that's maybe that's why it gets me. Yeah, that's it. It's very Clarence. <laughs> it is the one time on the album where the drums are coming in with a nice like a dun cha yeah. dun yeah. cha like through the song as well. So it's um, I think it's the it title all... track that kind of it almost sounds like they wrote it as a single as well. They kind of were going mm-hmm. through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I always remember. Um, um, 
was a math class I did when I was studying, but with Nigel Hitchcock, and he was going on about, actually, do you know what? There's a lot to it, just playing like a good eight bars, you know, because <laughs> you haven't got however many choruses to decide what you want to do and like come up with ideas. You've just got, you've got eight bars, go. Yeah. <laughs> mm. no, I, yeah. It reminds me of, I, I, I um, temped at, in like a big band uh, for a few rehearsals yeah. and it's the same sort of thing. Guitar, I'm a guitarist, right? So the guitarist doesn't really have much to do apart from like comp chords through. But occasionally there's like a solo. <laughs> and because it's just a you know, quick fire rehearsal, so I'm just looking at it. There's no solo actually transcribed. It's just like says guitar solo. Yeah. <laughs> like, fuck, okay. <laughs> Can we do it again? No, okay. okay. <laughs> I have a really good idea. Like the song stops and I'm sitting there noodling going, yeah, I should have done that, damn it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, hindsight. <laughs> yeah. I think we um, we're we're planning on doing a, a cover of uh, the song "Cure for yeah. Pain." Yeah. Oh, nice! Um, so, uh, if you uh, were bored and wanted to add some uh, sax to that, that would um, that's be my a dream for us. <laughs> um, yeah, let me know. That would be yeah. an absolute pleasure. <laughs> mm. Awesome! I'm gonna I'm gonna put uh, Buena on there as my favourite. I think it was just it was the one that um, kind of caught me originally and then the progression of the the sax the first time i still remember that feeling of actually like uh i think we had it on in a, a road trip going up to see um some of uh my family and uh just that that feel that it's the one time i remember a motorway drive because it was uh that that stick in the stick in the mind moment it's um, funny you should say that i think when we were saying when i steve was like mentioned morphine and it was when i was living in kent's for a little brief period so I was driving back from London quite a lot and again funny you say that M2 motorway <laughs> very unforgettable <laughs> did many a journey but I do remember listening to A Cure for Pain yeah. the whole album on yeah. a drive home at like midnight going this is cool we're, we're all good one has a killer riff I think that's yeah. the thing and that's that's one which really like the first, when I've tried to play that to people on on not very good systems because of what they have at their house, you totally lose the effect of the song because you yeah. want it to be rattling you before you really can get all the detail that's, of stuff coming in. You really feel it, don't you? That it like mm. yeah, it's very emotive and it gets you, and you're mm. kind of like yeah. <laughs> and like with Dawna as well, is that's quite soundscapey and it's just such a gentle mm. start to the album but yeah it's a really cool can we, intro can we also mention that it's it's a it's a well paced album and well um constructed one I, I really like um in spite of me as that middle moment it's something a little bit different it's um got i think mandolins in there and he's basically not really singing it's kind of a it's almost like a spoken I mean, it's pitched, but it's 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 really really light touch. It almost sounds like an answering machine. It's really beautiful. He said he was inspired by um, like beat poets. Um, oh, quite yeah. a bit as well. Yeah. Like Jack Jack Kerouac was one. Yeah, um, yeah. That kind of so it's you know he's he obviously shows those influences in lots of different places. Mm. Um, it's almost like a dream sequence if, in comparison with the rest of the album. You know, like it's taking at this point you've taken enough morphine now you're hallucinating. <laughs> Like, <laughs> it, it, it's, but I, 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 it's a really beautiful piece of music, actually, I, I think. Um, because you've got the mandolins and stuff, but it's not airy-fairy because he's just sort of 
speaking oh he's he's almost speaking it and it's just and it's also like we said it's a has the dark the subject matter of the lyrics themselves have a somewhat dark tone exactly um, it's still very grounded and very rooted isn't it so yeah despite the mandolin it's keeps it still keeps the um the same feel yeah the mandolin just gives you a contrast it just it's almost like worlds that could have been you know it's just uh, it's, it's the one song on the album that actually has treble uh, somewhat but, <laughs> but not really because they they're not they're not that hi-fi the 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 mandolins and things they, they they seem to have a kind of they seem to be, they don't seem to be very bright and they're pushed back into the background so never so it doesn't feel out of place in the album obviously it no. has more trouble content than the rest of it sure but it it never feels like oh wow now it's trebly it's a nice layer isn't it you've just yeah. got another layer to the sound and yeah and it comes at pretty much exactly the halfway point of the album it, it is it's the um it's the last song on side A and then you launch in with thursday and uh kill for pain like straight after but that's exactly that's exactly how you would and i know i know there are technical te- technical reasons why you'd put those kind of songs at the end of a vinyl side but somehow artistically it works as well i think vinyl for this reason is such a good format because it forces <laughs> you like on length is pretty much the right like the, the amount of music you can fit on vinyl is about how long you want to listen to an album for and like i said the ends of the sides are kind of you can't the the fidelity goes down a little bit and you can put those kind of the those kind of tracks um at the end of side one yeah uh, but it, it forces you to create like definitely making sure you've got that interesting journey with how you organize the songs as well I think. it's not like yeah. you're just like cd album cool let's go yeah and the best albums are constructed that way that yes. they take you through them and that's why i was saying that all of the ones that we've got <laughs> all of the ones that we've got in this series are are albums that I generally just listen to as albums, and you don't really pick songs. We we have this um uh with my fiance we have a uh, a joke um which is entirely derived from morphine, uh, which is that if there's saxophone on a song, it's probably a really good song. <laughs> like just it it it's because it's 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 a deliberate choice. No pop band or rock band has a saxophone on by accident. I mean, it's a hit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in our in our old band, uh, that Andy and I were in, for we we had a horn section and saxophones and stuff, and I had a lot of fun writing songs and arranging parts for for. So it was a classic kind of trumpet, sax, trombone, um, trio thing, and it's really fun to write for these kind of instruments um, that you don't really get in. Uh, sort of rock music as much because you focus more melodies right because they're all single note instruments whereas i think and this is where i learned to think of it's going to sound really pretentious but i learned to think of music sort of more horizontally than vertically if that makes any sense so so thinking of the different voices and the voice leading and all this sort of stuff i'm not trained as such i didn't ever really like was taught this stuff but being forced into writing for our horn section you know, there are a couple of songs that, um, in fact, we've never released, but I still, I still have the recordings of them and I've listened back and I go, yeah, I'm proud of that. That was cool. <laughs> things that, it, it informs me so much on like doing backing vocals and how I would arrange them. And, yeah, and, it's and a very, yeah, it's a very similar sort of mm. thing. I think actually that's, that's one thing as well that I really like about Morphine is because you do have the saxophone in that more rock context. 
um, which I really enjoy. Like I grew up mm. listening to a lot of rock, and then obviously saxophone. It's so vocal. That's the thing about sax is that it it's very it sounds very vocal, and it's um, and sort of guitar solos do something similar, and that's why I think you, it works in the mix. Do you, uh, Andy, do you remember that night when we we did a show with Walking in the Smoke Machine and we played Somebody to Love? And I was playing piano. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Sophia, our saxophonist, played the guitar solo on sax. That was one of the greatest moments of my life, I swear. <laughs> when it came in and went on the sax, I was just like, oh, yes. I got That's so excited, great... I ran a lap of the room. Yeah, um, <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is there anything you guys would like to plug? Uh, we have a new single coming soon, um, which will be released uh, in video format first off. Um, it almost certainly will be out for several months before this comes out. So, uh, oh. shall we tell everyone to just go find Mir Marta? Maybe do that. Yeah, because cool. also that, like our album was released in July. Yeah, July. Yeah, so our album's released. So we've got an album out, which is already out. So check that out. It is great. Definitely do that. Cool. Thank Flight you very much. Freedom. Um, but we're going to have uh, a single coming out called Count of the Dark, uh, which we're filming a video for. Next weekend, I think. Two weekends. Two weekends. So it's being re- uh, released in video format first, then it's going to be part of an EP, which will be released mm. sort of around Christmas time. Very nice. So we need to get busy. Let's <laughs> get busy. <laughs> well, we'll put the links when this when when we release all this stuff. We'll amazing. We'll stick the links in there. Thanks. Uh, as in anything you want to plug specifically this uh, week? Since we did it last week uh, I've been working on one of the songs that we recorded quite a while back that was a mainstay of our live stuff but we haven't actually played it that much this year I think it's called Terra Firma um, everything seemed a little shaky this year that's probably why well maybe but it, well I say this year but like you know in our more recent <laughs> gigs I should say like this for me it still feels like it's March <laughs> like even though it's October um, and Maybe one of the reasons that we don't really play it so much live is that it's really fucking high to say. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but I was working on some of that, and that's going to be out soon, probably by the like we were saying by the time this probably exclusively to people who sign up to our mailing list. Ah, of course, uh, yeah, yeah. So I yeah. should just say it's finished rather than out. It won't be out. Yeah, if out. you if you want it, come and sign to our mailing list. Yes, that's true. That it's, uh, it's, it's an exclusive one. Um, but it's it's sounding pretty good, so I'm, I'm pleased with that. And I'm going to plug uh, saxophones and cats this week. Love it. So uh, if you don't know either of those, go Get and one. put a kitten in a Barry saxophone and let it have fun. <laughs> I mean, it was. Let's would, do ours, it right now. <laughs> <laughs> ours would fit. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're to get out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to chance it. <laughs> uh, if, I'm allowed, if I'm allowed to say it as well, I'm going to say very nice things about Aston microphones as well, because uh, we've just been mm. made an official artist of Aston microphones. Oh, wow. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, so we're, we're talking to, to you death, through uh, an Aston Stealth as well, which is a very nice microphone. Oh. So if you, if you like the sound of uh, Stephen Meredith's voices, then do check out Aston microphones. Yeah. Brilliant. I like it. Uh, Thank you very much for uh, coming on, guys. Uh, that was wonderful. One of my uh, uh, top few favourite albums of all time. So it's uh, awesome to have a great chat about that. No, it's been great. Thank you very much for having us. It's been fun. How did you guys find it? 
what find find the album or enjoy it yes of course oh, okay. the album yeah we're uh, uh the the illusion uh is that you've uh, just listened to it with us now and we're uh, oh, we've had a in-depth uh uh natter about it as we go and now this is the uh, distilled high quality output oh i see <laughs> no pressure then i like that high <laughs> no, quality <not> <laughs> cash 